Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 46. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, when the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message would not fall on deaf ears, but quite the contrary, this message would fall on ears who receive it according to your grace and purpose, that you would do a work in the hearts Thank you for the work that you do in my life consistently. I know I don't deserve it. I know you have your work cut out for you, but you know what I mean by that. Father, I pray that you would be the one speaking and not I. I pray that we would come to your son Jesus once again with awe and wonder and surrender and yieldedness and and gratefulness that you would save us through this act. I ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout this service, we, we have read and we have, we have in mind the last hours of Jesus. Jesus prayed alone in the garden to have his closest friends falling asleep on him, despite Jesus' desires for them to stay up. We hear about the blood falling as sweat from the brow of Jesus as he is in so much anxiety and agony, fear to know what is before him. We know that not only Judas betrayed Jesus for his arrest, but his closest friend Peter betrayed him. He denied even knowing him, leaving Jesus alone. And though they are just words on, on pieces of paper in a book that we read, hopefully all too often, we read that while Jesus is in custody, they mocked him. Picture that. They beat him. They blindfolded him. They struck him. Told him to prophesy blasphemy against him. He's then given to Pilate, whom Pilate gives Jesus to Herod. Herod's people continue to mock him the whole time, no matter where Jesus is at, before the council of the Sanhedrin, or before Pilate, or before Herod, or Pilate again, or on the cross, suffering with already lashes on his back, heaving from the pain. There the chief priests and the scribes are always there, saying in Jesus' ears that Jesus is a liar. He's a, a heretic. He's a blasphemer. Jesus has to be tired. That's an understatement. The blood, the sweat, and the tears 
fill all the same all over his broken, bruised, cut open, tender, sore body. He's been hit all night long. He's been yelled at all night long. He's been accused and said very little in either defense. And when it, came, when it comes to retaliation, he said nothing all night long. And he's on the cross. To be honest, it's probably been, no matter how cold, no matter how in shock or how sore he feels, it's probably his first lousy place of rest. He's had to carry that cross to the hill that he's, that he's going to die on. He's been nailed to it. The freshest wounds are in his hands and feet. Many times there was a peg or a small ramp below the buttocks of victims on these crosses so they would be forced to rest, prolonging the agony as opposed to letting themselves slouch completely and die. Even so, Jesus is probably the most restful despite the pain that he has been for many hours by this point. And it's after this long and trying trial, he hears either to his left or right one of the criminals who were hanged railed, that word there is blasphemy, at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Another mockery, another derision, a parent of the people who have been around Jesus at the cross leading up to this passage. We were told that this has been the general sayings of the people around him, the chief priests and the soldiers. The only difference is, is this common criminal threw himself into the joke. Of course he didn't believe Jesus could do anything, but if he could, the criminal wanted in on being saved. Save yourself and us. I am painfully aware that I am not Jesus, but I would have lost it long before. I would be back before the council right after being betrayed by Judas, just losing it. But do you think Jesus is in some small, despicable, miserable, bloody, beaten, bruised sort of way, finally looking for some peace and quiet? But no, the agonizing, bloody, dying criminal next to Jesus has to hurl another mockery. Jesus' default has been silence, acceptance, and maybe even ignorance of those who mock him. What good would it do anyways? The odds are the criminal wasn't mocking Jesus to deride Jesus so much as to make himself feel a little bit better, get in on the fun making of Jesus with the rest of the crowd. The odds are that, that this criminal had more jabs at Jesus than just this little one line, too. In fact, Mark would record for us in Mark 15.32, quote, Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Jesus cannot rest because while he hangs on the cross in horrific, excruciating pain, the chief priests are teasing him, the soldiers are laughing at him and will be casting lots for his clothes, and the criminals beside him are doing likewise. And I believe it's near the end of this crowd mockery against Jesus. Before one criminal says, Save yourself and us. That, that, that one criminal who had been mocking Jesus stopped himself as he saw Jesus laboring to breathe. 
We have to believe that it takes considerable pain and effort for these people to talk loud enough to hear. And so Jesus is laboring and breathing heavily, giving the effort. And Luke records for us that Jesus says about all these people, he opens his mouth, what's he going to do? One criminal has to think, have we finally broken his shell? Is the guy going to spit some venom back at us? What's he going to say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who knows who heard Jesus? Somebody had to. Luke recorded it for us. But it's then that the soldiers cast lots. The the chief priests go back to more mockery. Another soldier offers him sour wine and, and, and mocks him still. But the guy on the cross next to Jesus, one said, save yourself and us. But the other, I wonder if it was the selfless statement of Jesus That right after the night Jesus had and after the blaspheming he's endured and all Jesus has within him in his painful labored breath is a desire for God to forgive them. I wonder if it's then this criminal had a heart change. And we hear. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. The man recognizes something here. Here are three men. All of them under the excruciating punishment. Sure, Jesus seems to have been the center of abuse. We're not told, and we can probably rightfully assume, that no one has mocked these guys to the point Jesus has. But this man notices and decides the odds are, as the Bible tells us, the Spirit reveals to this man at this point that Jesus is who he says he is. That what the people have teasingly, tauntingly called Jesus, Jesus really is the King of the Jews, the Messiah. Whatever the case, this man knows this. We're all here for crime. The only difference is, is this man, Jesus, is innocent and wrongfully accused as he is. He's just asked for the forgiveness of everyone around. And then the man says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man expressed the same thing as the other criminal. See, the other criminal said, save yourself and us. But this man said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We don't know the man's religion, his background. We don't know what this man even believes about Jesus other than the fact that Jesus is a king of a kingdom and he's going to his kingdom. What I hear in this man's request is trust in Jesus. Verse 43 tells us, and Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus grants the man's request. There's a lot of debate about Scripture here. That is, in my humble estimation, needless. The debate is around, well, did Jesus go to paradise? Is that where he was in the interim before he resurrected three days later? Did Jesus go to hell and preach to those in hell? Some people believe Scripture elsewhere says that. What happened? What happened is exactly what Jesus said happened. The debate is needless. Jesus makes it pretty clear. Today, as in the very same day, you, man who just made this request, will be with me. That is Jesus. Where? 
in paradise. It sounds like Jesus had plans to go to paradise that day, and the man was invited. How can Jesus grant that? He's dying on a cross. In fact, Luke, the physician writing this account, would confirm for us it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until about the ninth hour, that is from noon to 3 p.m., while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus died. But not after he revealed that the man's trust in Jesus was well founded. Darkness over the land in the Bible repeatedly suggests a few things. Most of all, God is ticked off. God's wrath and lament. And what's happening here is, I believe, twofold. Firstly, it could be that God is showing his anger against those who would dare crucify his son. But at the second time, God's wrath is being poured out on Jesus so that sinners could escape it under the salvation Christ offers. Other gospel accounts would tell us that not only did the land go dark, but an earthquake happened, rocks were split, tombs were opened, revealing bodies that would three days later rise with Jesus, Matthew 27, 52 would tell us. The point is this, it's not a coincidence God is responding to this death. And this death is propitiating God's wrath. 1 John 2, 2 tells us He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' friend Peter, who deserted Him, but later came back and felt the grace and love of forgiveness, tells us in his letters, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The curtain was torn. This means that this man was right to trust in Jesus to get him to paradise, and not only the Holy of Holies. Because the Holy of Holies was condemned, done away with, and now we come to God's presence with boldness and courage, and that's found at Jesus Hebrews 9, beginning with verse 12, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 10.10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14 in that chapter, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified in verses 19 through 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So when the man says, remember me, Jesus, 
the man was talking to the only way, the only truth, and the only life that could accomplish his desire. So we're here tonight because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. But we, like the criminal on the cross, come to the symbols representing God's broken flesh, saying with him, Jesus, remember me. And I want you to know, and I want you to hear, that we sometimes make this too hard. Maybe that's my fault. There is a solemnness, yes, we should have when we approach this table, but the hardest thing, listen, the hardest thing to do on nights like this is the simplest thing, and that is to receive and trust. Receive and trust. Paul tells us to examine ourselves before the Lord's Supper, to not take this lightly. But what Christ does is he offers himself freely. And he says to the criminal who just moments before had likely been blaspheming him, he says to that criminal, no doubt guilty of sins up until his dying days, today you will be with me in paradise, not because the man had pulled levers, not because the man had managed to stay sin-free for a few hours, not because the man ate at the Lord's Supper, not because the man had been baptized. Dare I say, it's not even because the man had stood up for Jesus, but because the man had trusted in Jesus. Which is why he stood up for him. And so tonight, what this is, when you come before Jesus in solemn reflection, it is a declaration of trust. It is a declaration of saying, Lord Jesus, remember me. And it is a settling within your soul to know he does remember me. Because I quoted 1 John 2, 2 about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins of the whole world. And that statement is predicated with the hope. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So friends, here before you are elements. The cup representing God's blood spilled for you. The bread representing God's body broken for you. But with the elements is the promise given to you freely and conditioned all upon what God has done, not what you have done or will do. All that needs to be asked of you when you approach tonight is that do you trust Jesus as the man next to him did? Do you trust Jesus' response that his grace is sufficient and his body and blood is for you and all that it takes is your reception of him to be with him in paradise? I invite you this evening to do as you feel called. Nobody will think another thing of it. We will take some moments of silent prayer, and if you feel ready, I invite you to come, take, and receive. But first I want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, you were on the cross for a reason that night. It hurt. It was painful. People mocked you. You were still human. You had... Temptations to overcome, I'm sure. But you overcame the temptations just like you overcame the grave because you overcame the power of sin. And you didn't do it for yourself. You did it for everyone who would come to you and believe, like the man next to you on the cross. Father, it's so hard to receive your grace. Give us 
the power to do so. We're people who want to work for what we get, but you did all the work for us. And so I, I invite each and every person who hears these words to come to the table, to take, to eat, and to drink, and to receive what you have given them so freely. Father, I pray for genuine hearts to come before you, not hearts that are seeking a give me, but hearts that are seeking to be in true, deep communion with you. So, Father, have your way tonight. Work in the hearts of everyone who's here. Do a work of grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come forward.